we are planning on doing this morning as we open up Romans chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 16, and last week we ended on 16, but I just want to, again, hit on verse 16. We've got to remember who the Apostle Paul is writing to here. He is writing to the church in Rome, and we know the church in Rome started not by Paul, because at this point Paul has not even been to Rome. He has desire to go there, is for them, but... The reason why the church in Rome started is because there were those from Rome at the day of Pentecost when God moved in a mighty way. And it says that actually in those verses, the day of Pentecost in, in Acts, you'll see where they actually left and went back to Rome. And this is where the church was birthed. And it was more of a home type of style of church. It wasn't big gatherings like this, but they were meeting at this point in homes. And so this is who the Apostle Paul is writing to. And again, we might think of that day and in Rome being the most wicked place on earth, but it wasn't. At that time, where Paul is writing from, Corinth is the most evil, sexual, perverse place on the face of the earth at this point. And so Paul understands the battles that they're going to face. And again, as we've worked our way through chapter 1, we've seen, man, there's a lot of parallels with what we're seeing today, even in our nation, in our world, that there was during this time when Paul was writing these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we see here, Paul last week was dealing with this idea of a false relationship. Those that know religion but doesn't don't know Christ. Those that believe the law is going to save them and And again, we have to be so careful that we are not those types of people, that we are driven by the law, believing that the law or God's commandments will cause us to be closer to him. But again, the Bible makes it clear, and Jesus said, those that love me will keep my commandments. It's almost an automatic thing. If we love Jesus, and this is what I tell you every year, instead of casting this big vision here at Momentum Christian Church, every first of the year, and I'll do it again this year, I'll say, listen, you want some wise words for the year 2022, fall more in love with Jesus. And I give you some ways that you can do that. And and, and again, uh, and and it's amazing what happens when people grasp that and they say, yeah, I, I need to be more in love with Jesus. And to be more in love with Jesus is to get to know Him more, know who He was and what He taught and what He died for. So we're going to begin here in verse 16. It says this, On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know His will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the fool, a teacher of children, having in the law embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
Now, we're going to stop there, and if we get the chance to get up to 25, we'll, we'll read the rest of that text later on in my sermon. But let's start going through this, and let's start dissecting what the Apostle Paul is saying to his audience, but let's also see how this applies to us today. So in verse 16, it says this, And on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, on that day that he's talking about, this day of judgment, again, I just want to make this clear, this is going to be the final judgment. The final judgment. And let me tell you this, you will be glad that you were a believer that day. There is some benefits that day for you. But there's going to be a time where there's going to be a final judgment. And this judgment's not going to be just a judgment of just action or what we did in this life. It's going to be a big part of it. But it's also going to be what were the motives for doing those things. How many here know that God is a God of motives? God is a God of motives. He, He knows the reasoning behind why we do things, why we... Uh, handle the things that we handle and the way that we do them. He knows everything about us. And the Bible tells us this. In Jeremiah 17.9, Jeremiah 17.9, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Listen, this is a verse that I've hidden in my heart. Because I know this, that my heart at times can be desperately wicked. The Bible tells me over and over and over that my that I, I don't know and I can't know my heart. And I've had people say to me before, but David, you're such a great guy. You would never do that. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute here. If it was not for the grace of God, there go I. My heart at times can be desperately sick. I find myself in the world that we're living in at times being very upset. And some of it's a righteous anger, but when I allow it to go beyond a righteous anger into something else, I realize my heart needs Christ. God knows our hearts. He's the only one that does. The Bible makes it clear. See, we tend to think, and one thing that I've always is stuck with me, and I use this a lot in counseling, is, is this phrase, is we cannot allow our hearts to lead us, but we must lead our hearts. How many of you have ever seen that, or you've heard that, or you've seen that phrase in a, in a movie, oh, just let your heart lead you, or let your gut, go by your gut reaction. How many know that we can't do that? Again, we have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, allow Him to lead us and guide us through this world, because a lot of times my gut reaction would get me in big trouble. And it has gotten me in trouble. I've let my heart lead me before to some places that I didn't need to go. You know, in Proverbs, it says this, Proverbs 21, verse 2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. But the Lord weighs the heart. You know, this is another verse that our leadership here in the church, myself and the elders, 
we, we want to live by is, is this, is that we don't want to just tend to make decisions because a lot of times on an elder board you can be just decision makers. You can be those that think that you have to make the decisions, but how many you know that we need to be relying on Jesus Christ and asking Him what the decisions are? I can say this about the elder board here at Momentum Christian Church. Not often do we move fast. But I do know this, that when we do move, usually I know without a shadow of a doubt 100% that it's God leading us because we did not do what was right in our own eyes. I think about what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I think about what it says in Psalms 139, 1-3, and I think that our attitude should be as King David's here, and this is just a beautiful passage that David penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says this in 139, verses 1-3, through 3, Psalms 139, 1-3, O Lord, You have searched me, and You know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and I'm acquainted with all my ways. You are acquainted with all my ways. And I want that in my life. I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. I want the Lord to search me. I want the Lord to know me. I want the Lord, without any fear, to know what's in the inner depths of me. But that only comes through surrender. And surrender, how many know, is not an easy thing at times. But I will say this, that the redeemed life will reflect always the holiness of our God. If you are truly redeemed, we are called to reflect our God. So we see that again, that this judgment day is going to happen and, and that all secrets of men will be revealed. And uh, one thing, and maybe this won't bring you comfort this morning, but maybe it will. The Bible makes it clear that all sin will be exposed. No sin will remain hidden. Uh, in some ways that can be kind of haunting, right? Because maybe we know something that we've been battling with. Maybe it's something that we just are not willing to kill and put to death because the Bible tells us to put our sin to death. Maybe it's a place we're just not willing to walk out obedience. But in other ways, as I've gotten older, I also realize this, that I'm glad that God sees things in my life, that He points things out, that He exposes them. Because again, the Bible says that God disciplines those that He loves. And I don't know about you, but in some ways, that brings me comfort. It says this in verse 17, but you call yourselves a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. Now, I want you to remember something that we talked about last week. The Jewish people believed in their whole heart that they were the only blessed race, even at this point. And they took great pride in their nationality. And, and the term Jew actually came from the word Judah, which was one of the twelve tribes. And uh, the name represented not only their racial but religious heritage. And it was strong and it had depth. And we talked about that 
all the way back where God had delivered them time and time again, where God had led them. And, and we see, though, still they turn to their rebellion. We know that God moved in a mighty way, but yet, Jesus said, you've killed all my prophets, all the prophets that God sent you, you, you killed. The Jewish people of this day, and I think it's important that we understand the culture that in their own mindset that they were set apart completely from all other people's group. And I'm talking about this day where Paul is writing. They still had that belief. And how many of you know that still today they have that belief? If you talk somebody that is, uh, is uh, uh, a Jewish person that's practicing, they believe today that they are the only chosen people. You know, we have to be so careful not to get under this whole mindset. You know, I, I, I grew up in a church where they believed that they were the ones that were going to be on top of Mount Zion. That they were, everybody else was, uh, they were superior than everyone else. And I remember the mindset that that brought in to that movement. It ostracized them. And so often we can think, and we can say that here, I can say this morning, I think the only Good way to preach is expository preaching, which I preach here at Momentum Christian Church. And, and, and if you preach expository, you've heard me say it, that, that, uh, that you will get what God's trying to convey and you'll understand His Word clearer. All those things to be said and you know, true, I'm not saying that that is the only way to preach. What I found is this. How many of you know that we have speakers? Next week we have Pastor Ted Branshaw who is going to be delivering the Word. And Pastor Ted is going to come here and share a timely message. And how many know when Pastor Ted preaches, usually you're blessed when you leave this place and you're equipped to go do the good works of Jesus Christ. But see, we could get a mindset here and say, this is the only way to preach. And no other way else. And everybody else that preaches any other way. Listen, there's churches out there that will tell you that if you don't preach out of the King James, you're not preaching God's Word. You're preaching the words of the devil. We preach out of the ESV here because we, again, after long study, many of you know that for years I taught out of the New King James. But the ESV, again, just has brought it closest, I believe, the closest thing to the Greek and Hebrew. And I just think it's a wise thing to teach out of something that is so close to what the original is. And I know Jeff Trott is probably watching online right now, and we joke about this. And uh, he asks me all the time, he says, man, the way you explained it is exactly it's spelled out and it's read in my Bible. Jeff, I know you're watching, so I'm just giving you a hard time. Some of you hear that. I want to say something too. Some of you might be saying, well, where is Jeff and Louise Trott? Um, Jeff is on a sabbatical. He took a sabbatical off the elder board at this point, just because I've heard some things out there. Uh, and they have some health issues that are going on. And so that's where they're at. They're very much part of the church. Is Jeff, Jeff is just asked to take a sabbatical. So at this point, that's exactly what he's doing. And I think it's a healthy thing. Jeff has been on the board here for... Almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. And so, um, just a little side note there for some of you that might be wondering. You know, I think about how we can get in this trap 
thinking that we have it completely. I think about uh, uh, this mindset because we attend church. Because maybe our family was a lifetime member and they have a stone in a building that says that. I think we need to be very careful. And I think about the re- denomination that I grew up in, or religion is uh, Roman Catholic Catholicism that I grew up in until age 10. Uh, it was, you know, even things like baptism was your salvation. If you were baptized, that you were, you were good. You didn't have to worry about anything else throughout time. We can get into this mindset, but we can do it even here. I attend church twice a week. I read my Bible every day. I'm a founding family member of the original members here. I helped put this building together. I nailed the wood up on the wall. I helped in the kitchen laying tile. I painted the ceiling black. We have to be so careful. Because none of those things are your salvation. We've said it here many times. Anything plus Jesus is religion. Anything plus Jesus is religion. We have to be so careful. In this verse that we looked at, at the end of it, it says this. A Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. What does that mean there? What is Apostle Paul saying there? The law and boast in God. Again, this is he's confronting another false security of salvation. And it's just this idea of the knowledge of God's law. How many know that in this day that the Apostle Paul, and even previous to this, that there was a group of guys called the Pharisees that held the law. They knew the law. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. They added to the law. But didn't Jesus say that they're like whitewashed tombs? Dead man's bones inside. Looks good from the outside, but inside you're dead. They did not know God. How many know that to have just the knowledge of God is not a relationship with God? We had an apologist in this last year and a half who we found out he was living a totally different lifestyle and from all reports would not even repent on his deathbed. He had the knowledge of God. He stood in pulpits and he preached. He did radio shows. He was on TV shows. But you know what? And only God knows. It seems that he didn't know God. Listen, we can have a false security just like the Jews did here. They, they knew the law and they actually boasted about it. I know the law. Remember the young rich ruler that Jesus ran into? And he asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And what, what, what did Jesus tell him? Yeah. And what did he say when Jesus brought up the law? I've kept every one of them. I'm a good person. Listen, I can guarantee you that there's people in this world, and it should not be this way, that are morally more sound than most of us that don't know Christ. Listen, I know people, and I've said this before, marriage, 
retreats that we've had, you, I know people that have a good marriage and don't even know the Lord, don't even acknowledge God. The sad thing is they could have a great marriage if God was the center of it. So here we cannot allow ourselves, as the Jews did, to boast in the law. I know the law. You know, we often think, and I've ran into people this way, that I've got the Ten Commandments memorized. And how many know that? That's a good thing. I'm never going to knock that. I think most of us here, if we really sat down, could probably write down all the Ten Commandments. And we think if we keep those Ten Commandments that we're in good standing in God's eyes. But we must remember what Jesus did. He elevated them. He brought them to another level. He says this about adultery, that it's not just laying with a woman, but if you think about it, in your mind you've committed adultery. Jesus said this, if you uh, not necessarily have to go murder someone or kill someone physically, but if you have hate in your heart, you've murdered your brother. And I've said this before, I don't think any one of us here could ever keep the law. That's why we've been given the helper. That's why we've been given salvation to Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. So these Jews, they boasted that they knew the law. But even as I said last week, they boasted last week about hearing the Word of God, but often we've seen they were just hearers, not doers. They didn't apply it. In verse 18 it says this, and and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. What is, what is the Apostle Paul talking here to the Jewish people that he's addressing this to? And how does it apply to us? The word approve here in the Greek means to test, to prove the value of something. That is the Greek meaning here. So how were they to approve it? was simply this, against the Word of God alone. Like I said, these people have become experts of adding laws. Things like, you couldn't look into a bowl of water because if a hair was out of place and you corrected it, you were doing work. Things like walking along with that bowl of water or a cup of water. If you spilt a drop and cleaned it up, you were doing work. It's about them, for them, was you could only take so many steps on the Sabbath day. It was all those laws that had put people in bondage. And we do the same thing today in the church. Sometimes I've, I've, I've heard people tell me that these are the top ten things you must do to become a Christian. Anybody see a list like that? You do these ten things and you'll be a good person. How many know that there's only one thing required? One thing required for your salvation. Please, I'm not teaching sloppy grace here. We never teach that here at Momentum Christian Church. If you love Jesus, you will do His commands. You will do His commands. I would ask you this. Everything that you base your Christian walk on, what are you basing it on? 
Because these guys, they based everything on how they kept the law. And I mean, just not the 12, but many, many, what, 635 I think there was that they added. How they kept all those laws. That's how they based their relationship with God. How do you base your relationship with God? Is it because you give 10%? Don't, don't get me started there. Because if you really understand God's Word, 10% is still not enough. And we don't preach on tithing here. We trust that God's going to lead us. God's always been faithful to us. Thank the Lord. But Jesus elevated that and said, I want a cheerful giver. I want somebody that's going to give. And I've said that here before. If you're not a cheerful giver, don't put nothing in the basket. And our treasurer always goes, why do you say that? Because God's Word says it. What do you base things on? How does this apply to us today? Is it If I read my four chapters a day, I'll be done and through the Bible by November. Are you reading God's Word like a magazine? Or are you studying God's Word? I've, I've told you this a million times, and hopefully uh, you'll be blessed like I was blessed, but I, I often read 15 verses a day now. Sometimes even less than that, but what I do is I, I ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me, and then what I'll do is I'll read those verses and I'll meditate on it, and then sometime during the day I'll actually study out what those verses are. And then later on in the day I'll say, God, how do you want to, me to apply this to my life? How, how do you want me to walk this out? And how many know that some of the verses and some of the texts in the Bible is so much more prescriptive at times than and some of it is descriptive, but it's all for our good. It's all for our good. In verse 19 it says this, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness. Now remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to these Jewish people, the Judaizers here that are trying to mingle things into this new thing called people the way or Christianity. But in this verse, in verse 19, he's actually addressing the Jews' pride. Again, the Jews considered themselves superior. And they really considered themselves superior in teaching and, and in spiritual things and in moral matters. They see themselves at this time as spiritual guides to everyone else that is not Jewish. And how many say that that probably could be a very true statement? For a group that were truly worshiping Yahweh, but they had missed Jesus at this point, the Son of God. And God's plan was to always use the Jews as a spiritual guide and as a light to the world. Do you know that? God's plan was to use them to go throughout the world. And he said, well, Pastor, man, I missed that. Let me read something to you in, in Genesis chapter 12. I believe it's verse 3. I don't have it here in my notes. I, I missed it. But Genesis 12, I believe it's 3. It says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
all the families in the earth shall be blessed. God always intended for the Jewish race, the Jewish people, to be a light that shines. And Paul is saying to him, listen, where, where have you done this? You were supposed to have been this guide. You were supposed to be those that were leading the blind. You were supposed to be those that were in darkness. I think about what Jesus said to His disciples. I think about what He made clear to His disciples in Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 14-16. Matthew 5, 14-16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it will give light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is powerful. And this is very prescriptive to us today. God is still calling us to be lights. He's calling us not only to be lights, to be a city on a hill. How many know when you see a city on a hill, it's evident? Anybody ever go someplace that was just so desolate, that it was just so dark? I think down in Florida, when we traveled through the Everglades once, through the night, I remember we went on that highway. Anybody ever been there? And it's just dark. And you drive for miles in just dark. And I remember driving that road, and, and one night when we were driving it, coming back, uh, I forget exactly where, we were going back to Naples, so we were a long ways away, and I remember the first city lights we seen. It was like, praise God. Don't have to worry about the car breaking down, kids getting eaten by alligators. We're good. There's something that came to me that said, man, it's so good to see life. Or it's like US 2 in the old days up in the Upper Peninsula where you drive forever. And I've been up there where I've gotten over the bridge and didn't get gas right away and drove. And it was like, oh, no. I forgot how far towns are up here. And it was so good to see the lights and know that there was a place to get gas. God has called us to be lights. He has called us to guide the blind. He has called us to lead those that are in darkness, out of darkness, and into light. This is no more truer than the day that we're living in. Listen, people right now, they're realizing that government is failing them in a way that they never before realized it. They're realizing that things that they trusted, they don't no longer trust. The things that they placed their hope in, there is no hope. And you know where there's only, the only place that there's hope, that there's life, that there's love? In Jesus Christ. I think about, I think about what it says in John 8 verse 12. And I think about what Jesus has called us to. How many know that we are called to be lights, but you realize that there's only one that is the light? Now, I want you to catch this this morning, okay, because this is important. In John 8, 12, it says this. 
John 8.12 Again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you see it? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You know what our job is to do? To reflect the light. To be a reflection, a mirrored image, the Bible actually says. And please don't get this wrong. Listen, we do not teach the little God doctrine here. That is heretical. I stand against it. and I can't wait till the day that that is gone and out of here when Jesus Christ returns and I don't have to deal with it anymore. We are not little gods. But we are called to reflect the light of Him who is the light of the world. It says this in Ephesians 5, 1 through 30. Oh, we're not going to read 1 through 33. In Ephesians 5, 31 through 33, it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrance, offering, and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all the impurity of covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, no crude jokes which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Listen, this is not my words. This is his words. So you get upset at God. Listen, here at Momentum Christian Church, we... We still exercise church discipline. I know, it's old-fashioned. That's what I'm told. I've been told that by other church leaders. Oh, it's old-fashioned. No, God's Word is not old-fashioned. God's Word does not go out of style. God's Word is our lamp, our light. Fornication is not allowed in Momentum Christian Church. Sexual impurity. If we find out that there's an issue, we're going to handle it just like Matthew 18. We're going to go to you in love, one-on-one. In love, not judgment. Say, hey, how can we help you? Leave this sin. What can we do to come alongside of you? Then we're, if, if that doesn't help, we're going to bring someone else in love. A true care for you. But in today's church, and I'm embarrassed to say this, a lot of this stuff is tolerated. A lot of this stuff is acceptable. A lot of this stuff is not even questioned. And all I can say is I'm glad I don't have to answer for them. But you want to reflect God's light. Listen, I think about what else the Apostle lists here. Don't let no filthiness or foolish talk, no crude joking. Crude joking. Now, this morning I told the worship team a corny dad joke. And it was simply this. Hey, did you guys hear about my new job? I'm working on submarines. It only lasted a week. It went under. 
Nothing filthy in that unless you're somebody that served in the service and you were in submarines, and I apologize. We thank you for your service. But what is our talk like when we're outside of church, when we're at work with the guys or the girls? What do we spend on our cell phones? How many love memes? I've told that story here before. When they first came up of memes, just the basic ones like the finger pointing to heaven and uh, the okay sign. I, I think I told everybody here uh, for about three months I was sending everybody because my glasses, I needed bifocals and or I got trifocals now. And, and I was sending everybody the emoji, the middle finger, thinking I was telling them the point to God. True, true story. That's when the church was bigger. I think that's what shrank the church for a couple of months. It was Craig Pertangelo that finally was bold enough to say, Pastor, what did I do to you? Why are you sending me the middle finger? And as I got a magnifying glass out, and I started going back on all these texts, I actually had to make a church apology. Emojis are great, but they've even went further now, right, than just... The finger pointing to heaven, clapping. Now they, you can send partial movies. Some pretty vulgar stuff. What, what are we doing when no one else is watching? You know, it, it, I believe it was D.L. Moody that said that true integrity is what you do behind closed doors when no one else sees. That's true integrity. So we've been called to be those that reflect the glory of God. How much? How many of you know that He's so much better at being the light of the world than we ever could be anyway? But we're to reflect His image. That means that when you go out into the world, that people should be seeing Jesus. I've said this before. Please don't don't put a Jesus fish in your car if you're cutting people off or flipping them off. Please abstain. I've seen so many people have that little Jesus fish and they don't represent Jesus very well. If you're going to wear a cross around your neck, you better realize for one thing that it is a, that is a sign of crucifixion, death, horrifying death. And you better represent Jesus Christ well through the power of the Holy Spirit, through knowing Him, through having a relationship with Him. You know, I grew up in a little town of Fairhaven, and we grew up with old people that lived on all sides of us. We had the Bingies, we had the Schultzes, we had Schanowskis uh, uh, and, and uh, Pijanowskis, and, and, and in that little, here we were, a family of six kids that were just, wow, at times could be wild. And I remember my dad telling me, listen, you better understand who you're representing here. You're representing the Devlamics. You're representing me and your mother. So you better not go burn the neighbor's house down. You better not go egg the house or toilet paper the house down the street. Whenever you see them in need of help, you help them. And I remember that clearly. And I would ask you this, who are you representing? And 
Do you represent them or do you represent Jesus Christ the way that you should? The Apostle Paul tells us to be imitators of God. He says, walk in love. Are you loving people? He says that just like Christ gave up himself, are you preferring others above yourselves? Husbands, are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Listen, this starts in your home. If this doesn't start in your home, it will go nowhere outside to where people can see the reflection of Christ. I don't know how you can be involved in things of filthiness or uh, sexual immorality and call yourself a child of God. Because my Bible says that there is no place in heaven for you. It's his words, not mine. God put this guideline because he loves his children and he knows that if he allowed those into heaven that were sexual impure, that would cause heaven to be a place that never was intended. So know that God loves you. It says this in verse 20 in our original text, Romans 2.20. An instructor, instructor of foolishness, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment, embodiment of knowledge and truth. Now, this again, he's hitting the Jewish people that he's writing this to right between the eyes. He's, he's hitting them right where their pride is because the Jews also prided themselves to be those that were those that would correct anybody that was they thought was wrong. They also prided themselves to be those that to teach those that just couldn't understand. How, how many of you here have had children? And let's be honest. I see some of you with some of your older children here. Just slip your hand up really fast. Now, how many have ever learned something from your children? <laughs> I have. I've had God expose things in my life because of my children. Not rebuking me. I don't want you thinking that I came home and my kids are like, hey! No, just through life lessons. Things that maybe, how many know that especially parenting, that not all your children are the same. We've had three children, uh, two girls and a, and a son. And, and all those kids were different. And I remember our first one, boy, she was just, uh, she very seldom did. I mean, I was on my knees just that God would provide her a godly man, and which God did. But she never gave us any trouble. Just, it seemed like she was compliant, just good. I have to be careful because my kids are watching this. Or they have the possibility of watching this. When I share personal things, please don't contact my family. This is, again, I just don't, I, I need to stop. But I remember learning so many things through that process. And all my kids now are growing. In fact, we're having our daughter's baby shower today, our first grandchild, which we're so excited for. But we have to, and what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, that we need to be very humble how we handle God's Word with others. We need to do it in a very loving and humble way. God's Word is the power. We're not. Hear what I'm saying? God's Word is the power. We're not. We have the power that from the Holy Spirit inside of us, but God's Word is that sword. You know, my mom... I remember when I first started preaching, 
fact, Evelyn McCoy might have been there the first time I might have preached in the pulpit at the tender age of 17 years old. My own mother said this to me about 20 years ago. She says, you know something about you? You are passionate about things of God. You love His Word, but you cut people using His Word. And I'll never forget what that did to me. In boxing, there's a term called being hit, where you get stunned. I was hit that day when my mother said that to me at the kitchen table. It's like, oh. And being young and prideful, I actually looked at her and said, but Mom, listen, there's, there's, there's no gray in God's Word. You know that. And she says, that's not what I'm talking about. Are you using God's Word to cut people down? Because it has the power to do that on its own. And it changed something in my preaching from that day forward. It changed how I delivered the Word of God, understanding that I wasn't the one that had to make you repent. That takes so much weight off of me. I'll go home and keep on saying, no. But, but it's got me to the point where I understand that God's Word is the power. That He simply has chosen me as a, a vessel. It's one of my giftings to be able to teach the Word of God to a pastor. And I, and I, and I love what I do, but... I need to make sure that I understand where the power comes from. I'm always shocked when I preach and I think that I just completely flubbed the message. Usually those are the messages that I hear the most from you guys. I come up here and I'll go home and I'll tell Miss, man, I just completely flubbed it. Didn't even get my point across. This and that. Next thing you know, I'm getting emails, texts, and people are saying, man, I was so touched this morning. And it makes me realize... And just humbles me that it's God's work that does the work. Not me. Not me. So the thing is, is this. Is the Jews, they had the knowledge, but again, they didn't have the understanding. And, and I know that, well, that sounds like an oxymoron. It's the same way as we can know about God, but not know Him. We can know about God. If I were to go do a poll out in Washington Township this next week, and ask how many people know God. you know how many people would tell me they know God? Probably about 95%. But when I would start asking them questions about, so what did Jesus do on the cross and through the resurrection for mankind? They probably wouldn't be able to answer that question. It would cause that, that to be shortened, that 95%, probably quite a bit. Because we can know about God but not know Him. And it's so important that we know Him because the thing is, is this, it's only through Christ that we can be saved, that we can be born again. It says in John 14, 6, Father, except through me, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one. We made it to verse 21 this morning, which is good. God's Word does not get outdated, so we're going to continue next week in verse 21. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning as I close in prayer.
I think the thing that provoked me the most out of this sermon this morning, and as I was studying God's Word, was just simply this, this idea of reflecting Him. Again, the idea of God's Word being the power. So often we think we have to do it in our own strength. How many know you just get tired out? I, I did... I did religion like that for too long in my life. Kind of like on that hamster wheel. You know, last week, one of the verses that we pulled out and what Paul was saying to the Jews was this, is that we need a solid foundation. Solid foundation. You know, we, we, how many know when you have big events at your house, usually that's the time that you get things done, Right? I think about the graduation parties we've had at our house and done complete renovations inside the house and the party was outside. My wife's a smart lady. We have this baby shower that's taking place at our our house and God has blessed us with a beautiful piece of property and it's going to be out by the pond underneath some big trees. and, and um, But there was something I had to fix at our house, we have a cement porch off our house that's bricked off the front door. And the steps over the years have, uh, which are also bricked, they have cracked. And there was some on one edge that was missing. And and I thought, man, Dave, you've you got to get to that. you got to get that fixed before this baby shower. Because how many know your relatives and people would be coming, they know about that crack, they avoid it up around it, but it's the people that are not usually there that's going to trip on it. So yesterday I got home from work, and, and and for some of you here, I'm bivocational. I got home from work, had to work Saturday, and I decided I'm going to get this done now. It would give the mortar enough time to dry by tomorrow at 4 o'clock. And I started chipping away at some of those bricks that were broken, and I got them chipped out of there. And what had happened was that first step when we put the sand in there as a base, it wasn't tamped enough. There had not been enough pressure applied to get that solid. And when we poured the concrete, what happened was it sunk just a little bit. And it caused things to shift, which caused bricks to crack. So yesterday, not only had to remove those bricks, but I had to fill that void to the best that I could and I got stuff in there and I started compacting it and I ended up with pea pebble in there because many of you know that's 100% compactable and I thought, man, that might be the best and put it all back together. And again, I was thinking about last week, you know, what are we building our life on? You know, we looked at this, is it the rock of Jesus Christ or shifting sand? What, what void do we have in our life that God's trying to get at? Or maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, and I'll tell you what the void is that you're lacking. It's the God that created you, that knew you before He formed the world, that knew you in your mother's womb. So I'd ask you this morning, I ask myself these questions, and I've wrestled with this this past week going through portion of scripture what am I building on how am I reflecting Jesus Christ to a world that is in darkness 
Do I believe that the power lies in Him instead of myself? Because if you don't, you will wear yourself out. Your Christianity will have no joy. It will be miserable. So this morning as I close in prayer, if you're in any one of those positions, it's simply this. God, I repent. Because usually what happens in all three of those things is we put something in place of Christ. And God, I just simply say, God, I repent putting something in front of you. I repent of not surrendering. I repent of being defiant towards the Holy Spirit and your word. Maybe you've been trying and you've been witnessing to loved ones. Listen, the best way to witness to loved ones is this, is share the Word of God, but understand that you're not the driving power. The Word of God is, and reflect Christ to them. Prefer them above yourselves. Love them like Christ loved us. And you can't do that on your own because that love is supernatural, but the Holy Spirit that is inside of you will quicken your mortal body. So if you're in any of those positions, listen, I'm just going to close in prayer. Between you and God, just say, God, yep, that's where I'm at. And God, I repent. Turn from my sin. I turn to you. I need help of the Holy Spirit. Call upon the Holy Spirit. He is the helper. I cannot, you hear me say this a lot here now, church. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have three different roles. Even though they're all God. Jesus Christ is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father right now. I'm so grateful for that. Read John 17. It's beautiful. I read it often. God the Father is on the throne, but the Holy Spirit is in you. Call upon the Holy Spirit. Start, stop treating Him like he's, he's something that He's not. He's God, three in one. He's the one that's been given to you to help you walk out this life, to reflect the light of the world. He's the one that He's given you the love to be able to share the Word of God in a way that it cuts through the heart and soul of man. It divides what is good and what is bad. So, Father, we come to You today. And we thank You again for the gift of Your Word. We thank You for Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank You for being obedient to the cross. We thank You for Your intercession for us even right now because we need it. And Holy Spirit, we need your help. Given us, us as the helper. And in the Greek, when Jesus said, I'm leaving you a helper, in the Greek it actually means someone better than me. And what Jesus was saying was this, it's not that he's hiring me, but he's going to be with you all throughout the ages. He's going to be inside of you. He's going to allow, be able to guide you and, and, and show you how to navigate this this world that we're called pilgrims and aliens in. So, Father, I pray today, Lord, cause us, Lord, to reflect You. Cause us, Lord, to truly see what we're building on. And may it be You. Lord, we want a sure foundation. And that is the rock of Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, we ask that You guide us and lead us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that You open up the Word to us in such a way that we can share it in a humble and loving way with others. Instead of using it as a sword to kill and maim, Lord, 
Allow it to be used as a sword that rightly divides. So, Father, I just ask, Lord, you do this work in each and every one of us. I pray that you go with my brothers and sisters this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that you allow them to see the opportunities. I won't pray. Give them opportunities because, God, you, the opportunities are there. But we need to see them. So give us your eyes, Lord, as we go throughout this world and cause us, Lord, to realize, Lord, that this is not our home. The heaven is our home. But God, you have called us to travel through this world and you have called us, Lord, to do your bidding. So Father, cause us, Lord, to be bold. Cause us, Lord, to be those that are proclaiming the hope of Jesus Christ until the day that he returns. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Be blessed. We love you guys. There is Bible study here Wednesday night. We're going through the book of Acts at 6.30. And next week, we will have Pastor Ted Branshaw here. I can guarantee you, he is a brother of mine and, and just loves the Lord. And he's going to have a great message for us.